The Cortellinius podcast is powered by our friends of Dot Moves, which is a play-to-earn mobile app based on blockchain and artificial intelligence. Challenge others in your favorite sports and earn Move with Dot Moves. You can subscribe to their World Football Day tournament this coming week from December 13th to December 15th. How to participate? We're going to share a tweet with all the information related to this tournament. Until December 10th at 6 p.m., every user playing on Dot Moves is automatically registered for this tournament. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of the Cortellinius Podcast, uh, your source for all things Portuguese football. I'm your host, Zach Lowy, the co-creator of Breaking Lines. I'm here today with a very special guest, uh, Philippe Diaz, the executive editor of Record Newspaper, one of the biggest sports uh, newspapers in Portugal. It is an honor. Philippe, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's really uh, an honor to have you on. Got a lot of stuff to talk about, uh, but first thing that I want to discuss on the podcast does not so much pertain to something that happened on the pitch as something that happened off the pitch, um, and it is the latest scandal in Portuguese football uh, with Portuguese authorities uh, investigating Porto for payment of commissions exceeding 20 million euros related to transfers. They've searched the headquarters of Porto. Uh, it does seem like their longtime president, George uh, Nuno Pinto da Costa, could be in some hot water. Uh, run us through this scandal. Obviously, so many scandals in Portugal that it's, it's hard to keep up with all of them. But uh, just give us a little bit of background on the scandal and and what what you expect to happen with regards to this well let's see it's not the first time you know it's <laughs> it's been common you know for the authorities uh, as of late to go uh they have search warrants basically and they and they search the premises of the clubs of, of their directors and stuff and their presidents uh i have to remind you that benfica's president and benfica is i mean it's the biggest club in the country he was arrested not too long ago uh, and now the authorities, they are suspecting and they search, you know, ported the offices and all that, that there, there's been payment for services that were not provided uh, in terms of commissions and all that. And that, that, that there's this thing called Saco Azul, which is Portuguese for blue bag, which is, um, you know, an amount of money that, you know, circulates in an irregular way through the club or from outside the club. And then the money is paid, you know, to agents. Uh, even sometimes the money comes back into the pockets. I mean, that, that's a suspicion as far as we know, allegedly, in the pockets of people who work for the clubs, you know, in the first place. And uh, Jorge Nuno Pinto Costa, like you pointed out, he's a major figure, not only in Portuguese football, but in almost in Portuguese society, because you have to realize something. Uh, and us journalists are also to blame because of this. Um, you know, clubs presidents here in Portugal, they have, their impact, you know, in social media and, and the society overall is huge. It's huge. You know, they, they're more famous than most politicians, let me tell you. They, they, they're famous, you know, characters. And yeah, this really shook the foundations of Portuguese football and even Portuguese society because uh, let's see if authorities can prove this in court, which is an entirely different matter. Uh, in Portugal, we, we have a justice, uh, I mean, the, the justice system sometimes, you know, doesn't give the proper answer that the citizen wants because sometimes, you know, uh, when you 
when you bug someone when you when you have audio uh sometimes that's that's worth even less that my word against yours he said she said sometimes is worth more in the courtroom than than an audio sometimes it's difficult to see what 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 you can prove and what you can um but in 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 terms of what happened at Porto uh, the suspicion is that uh there's a lot of money coming out of the club uh that that is is allegedly paid uh, to people around the club who have nothing to do with deals that are being done. Uh, they're basically paying them for other reasons, which we still don't know who, which are, in case any of this is true. But there have been talks long ago. I, I, I mean, I've been a journalist for 23 years now, and I've heard stories like this, uh, and not just uh, regarding Porto, but also other clubs, that, you know, people receive money uh, because of their connections to the president, because of previous deals, because of blah, blah, blah. And they they are paid, uh, and this is the case, you know, to talk in exact terms, of people who are being paid for services that did, they did not provide for the club. And that's, that's what shade, that what is so shady about all this. But let's see. Let's see what happens. Been a bit of a mixed bag for Porto in terms of results. Uh, they have taken back-to-back to back wins. I think they've gotten four straight wins in the league, uh, perhaps yeah. more than that, but, but, but two back-to-back wins uh, over the past week against Vitoria de Guimaraes and Portimonech, mm-hmm. but still not quite there yet in terms of European results. Obviously, you know, going with what was being purported as the group of deaths, a group of deaths uh, with yeah. Liverpool, Atletico. Yeah, yeah it was a tough one. You, you got to be fair there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. really was a tough one. Yeah. It was a tough one, but I did expect more of a competition. Oh, yeah, sure. It seemed oh, more yeah. like it was just Liverpool asserting their dominance over everybody, whereas Porto. <laughs> and I think that's fair. I mean, yeah. Liverpool are, you know, one of the four best teams in world football right now. No doubt. Perhaps the top two. Um, whereas Porto, Milan, Atletico, they are definitely a few runs below. Uh huh. Obviously, a big disappointment for Porto, though, to miss out on Champions League qualification, qualification to the round of 16 uh, in what I, I called the most Copa Libertadores Champions League match of all time. <laughs> that's what happens, you know, when you put uh, a Sergio Conceição side and a Diego Somione side up against each other. But um, what, what, has been your, what, what has been your take? on Porto so far this season. Obviously doing very well in the league, uh, top top of the league after that, that 3 nothing win against Portimonech, but missing out on uh, the Champions League round of 16, you know, a big blow financially, which which I want to get your take on how, how much of an impact that will have on their on the club's finances. But also, you know, potentially potentially a blessing in disguise. They are not going to have to deal with uh, the weight of, of, of challenging both in the Champions League round of 16 that Sporting will do. Potentially Benfica will see um, with today's results. Uh, well, if you allow me, Zach, let me start talking about the financial goal because, the, it, it, I mean, it's a direct consequence of what we just talked about previously. You know, <laughs> Porto's finances are, are in question here. They are in jeopardy, maybe. The thing is, you know, you know, not not Porto being knocked out and having to compete in the in the Europa League is a huge blow. It is a huge blow financially because you have to realize that uh, Porto is under scrutiny from uh, UEFA's fair play. 
which is a program where, where they, they suffer severe restrictions in case uh, they don't give the proper response financially. You have to have a clean sheet, so to speak, and you have to present it to UEFA or else you will get sanctioned. Like Porto has been sanctioned. They, they can sign players and, and stuff like that. So Porto do need the money badly. And uh, now that they are out of the Champions League, they will have to sell players. They, they don't have you know any other choice, which is something that sometimes you have to sell youngsters. And also, there's this dichotomy be, uh, between what's good, you know, in terms of, of, of the football, in terms of the sport of the team and the results. And in financial terms, you take Vitinha, for instance, who is a midfielder who is doing very well. Porto, of course, are happy to have him. But uh, he was supposed to be, or maybe Porto was, was trying to sell him to Wolverhampton. He was loaned to Wolverhampton. But Wolverhampton, they didn't pay 20 million euros like, you know, Porto were expecting them to do. They, they didn't, you know, uh, there was a clause and, you know, Wolverhampton just weren't interested. So this is a huge blow, first and foremost, financially to Porto. In terms of, you know, uh, the team's career, you have to realize something. Porto has been, you know, by far the Portuguese team who has done better in the last, you know, 30 years or something, which is a huge deal. Uh, so I think, you know, they're allowed to have a not so good season. Last season, they, I mean, they, they rose to the expectations. They did Splendidly, they knocked out Juventus, Ronaldo's Juventus. Uh, uh, may I remind, uh, out of the Champions League, which was huge. You know, they were, it was uh, astonishing. Uh, but yeah, I I agree on you that maybe it, it, because of that very same reason that you should expect more from Porto. Uh, I think they were better than Atletico Madrid. I think they were a little bit unlucky, to be fair. But you have to. I would expect more from Porto. Uh, I, I, I would consider the Liverpool matches, you know, exceptions because Liverpool just tower above any, <laughs> almost any other team in the world. But uh, yeah, I think that maybe in, the, in terms of the Portuguese league, I think I still think Porto is the most consistent team. They have the most dangerous player in the, in the, in the competition, Luis Diaz, the Colombian player. I think he's, you know, destined to be um, one of the top players in European football in a few years from now. That's my estimation. Uh, Porto, I think Porto will will sell him uh, at the end of the season. That's what I I expect to happen. But um, I mean, take, take Sporting Sporting for example, with, who are the champions. Uh, Porto is top of the league with the same points as Sporting. Sporting is a young team. Is a, I think they have a little bit more freshness than Porto maybe. But they and they went through uh, you know the the Champions League to the next stage, uh, and Porto didn't. Uh, yeah, uh, granted, uh, Sporting's group wasn't as tough, but Porto has another, has more pedigree, Champions League pedigree, if you see what I mean. So, uh, and they have this, they have had the same manager for four, four or five years, Sergio Conceição. There's this consistency that you should, and I think you should expect more from them. Yeah. Yeah, Porto, uh, you mentioned, I think Luis Diaz can definitely see him getting a big move oh, yeah. at the end no of the doubt. season. Uh-huh. I think Vitinha is another one who, who will be mm-hmm. on, you know, be looking at. Um, they won't be able to sell Chancel Mbemba or Tecatito Corona, who are going mm-hmm. to, uh, who, whose contracts are set to expire next yeah. summer, uh-huh. unless they try to pull off January sale. Um I think Meditaremi potentially, but he had some very high-profile misses in the Champions League. <laughs> yeah, potentially a reason why. Look, this guy is the best striker in Portugal right now, but is he going to 
you know, at, at 28, 29 years old. Yeah, that's there's the age factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the yeah. age factor there. Yeah. Uh, Mehdi Tarim is a very uh, accomplished striker. I, I think he's one of the best. I agree with you on that. Um, he really, you know, uh, delivered when he was signed by Porto because he played in Riwav, who are now in the second division. And, you know, when, when, once there's this kind of preconception that strikers, when they come out of other European clubs, that, oh, this guy is it. If they come from the lower clubs, oh, let's see if he can deliver on playing for Porto. There's more doubtfulness, I think. Uh, but he really responded. I think he's a really good player. But I wouldn't put him, uh, to be uh, brutal about it, I wouldn't put him in the same league as players like Luis Diaz and Vitinha. Different positions, yeah. But I think they, they are they are better players, period. Uh, I think Tarim is very good at what he does. But I don't see him, you know, playing at other level, at, at another European level, at, at a top club. No, to be honest with you, no. But I think he's very good for Porto at Porto uh, and you know but for top 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 football I have my doubts to be honest with you I want to move on now to the other Porto club at the study of the best Boavista uh, taking on Marichmo in the first game for new Boavista manager Petit who of course was sacked at, as Belenenche Saad's manager just a few games into this season took over for Joao Pedro Susta, who uh, received a very lucrative offer from the Middle East and decided to depart. Uh, so the first game for, for Petit in charge of Boavista, second game for Vasco Siabra in charge of Marichmo Siabra, coming and replacing uh, Julio Velasquez. Um, Boavista taking the lead within five minutes from Pitar Musa, and we saw two, both, both sides pick up um, a red card, an expulsion uh, within just five minutes of each other. And in the 95th minute, Henrique scoring uh, a equalizer for Marichimo to snatch a point in Porto. So currently, Boavista 11th in the league with 12 points. Marichimo right behind them with 11 points. Uh, right behind Marichimo are Paso Chupeda, who are level with 11 points. Obviously, uh, Passos losing to Marichmo in Vasco Siabra's first match in charge of the club. Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on on both managers' appointments. I think that there I think that there are a lot of there are a few similarities, but there are also a lot of differences between Siabra and Velasquez, as well as Petit and João Pedro Sousa. Um, talk to me about your expectations. For, for both appointments. What do you think both clubs are trying to get out of these appointments? Well, I think Maritimo is desperately, you know, trying to avoid, you know, uh, relegation, which hasn't happened since the mid-80s. Uh, their team from the island of Madeira, as you know, uh, and they, they've, they're not a big club by any stretch of the imagination, nation, I mean, nationwide, uh, or, or nationwide, should I say. Uh, but they are, they have loads of tradition and they're a good club. Um, but I think they they are slowly, you know, uh, dissipating, and they're trying to avoid that by signing. They signed Julio Velasquez, which I think things just didn't gel. You know, it, it didn't click between him and the players. Uh, the type of football they played, I think it was substandard. To be honest with you, I don't think that they they have 
some good players. Uh, Claudio Wink is a good player. The goalkeeper, Paul Victor, is, a, I think, is a good goalie. Zainadine, the centre-back, is very experienced. But there's something lacking uh, to take them to the next level. They sold Rodrigo Pin to Benfica, which was one of their, if not their top player, their best player. But I, I, saw, I saw them play uh, um, and... I, I just it didn't grab me, and the results didn't didn't show it didn't show did show that you know the thing the, the things were just weren't good. Vasquez Yabra, I think I think he's a good manager, but he's had you know some tough times as well. Uh, the team now is playing in four two three one formation. I think uh, he I mean he he's been in charge for two games. He won the first, he drew the next one, the second one. Uh, I thought the team. It's it's always like I think it's a little bit too early to have a serious assessment because you see, as you know, when a new manager comes, you know, all the players want to show their stuff. They want to show what they're capable of. The ones who are playing, they want to maintain that status. The ones who are not playing, they want to show that they they should have a crack at the first team and all that. But I think that the team was a little bit looser. I think some of the weight was off their shoulders. Uh, but I do. I think Vasco Siabra. Uh, is a young manager. Uh, he did very, very well at a club who's never been in the top division, which is Mafre from the outskirts of Lisbon. I think he did really well there. But as far as uh, top Portuguese football goes, he still hasn't shown, I think, in my assessment, what he's capable of. He likes attacking football, offensive football. Uh, let's see what he can do at Maritim. Uh, I have um, my opinion of T, of course, is more accurate because he's been he's been around for so long as a player and as a manager. Uh, he's a Boavista man. Uh, he that's that's the team where he, as a player, you know, uh, first broke into the the scene. Uh, then he went on to play for Benfica, of course. Uh, Portuguese international. He, his his teams are very alike, you know. Um, as he was as a player, they're really tough defensive wise. You know that these guys would. I mean, uh, <laughs> the guys who play for for Petit's teams, the defenders, they follow you to the bathroom, man. They they they, they don't give you don't give you an inch. They're really tough, really really aggressive. They really go for it. It's not, uh, to my mind, it's not attractive football, but it's effective football. The thing with Petit is he does the most of of what he's got, and he's had. Some very interesting results when he was managing uh, teams like Tondela. I mean, marginal teams, yeah, but uh, teams that he they, they didn't they didn't descend, they didn't uh, they weren't relegated. He did his job where he where he was, and even at Bolinch, uh, Bolinch which is I I don't know if we can even call that a club or a team or organization. <laughs> I think it's a zombie institution, to be honest with you. But with the players he had, with the players he had, I mean, the guy. The guy showed he showed something, and um, I don't know if T like, very much like I said about Taremi. Uh, I don't know if he's destined to uh, manage at top top level, but I do think he has you know competence, and he uh, like very much like he was as a player. He he does the job with good what what he's got. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, another mid table clash that I did want that I wanted to talk about was Jill Vicent against Famalicao. Uh, Jill Vicent welcoming Famalicao to the Barcelos after Famalicao's 3-0 loss uh, to Portimonense. And really, this was just a massacre, I think, from, from yeah. Jill Vicent's side. Yeah, it was. Uh, Kanye, Kanye Fujimoto t- uh, putting, the, putting Jill Vicent ahead within three minutes. Fran Navarro grabbing another goal soon. 
uh, Morillo making it three nothing in a halftime, and Fran Navarro getting his brace uh, in the seventy sixth minute. Um, I saw that you were that that you you made the that you helped to make the uh, team of the week for Liga Portugal. Yeah. With João Araujo and Ricardo Quaresma, yeah. I was disappointed to only see one Gil Vicente player, but um, now is your <laughs> chance to make amends. Uh, uh, no, 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 I, 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 no. Let me tell you, I put other Gil yeah, Vicente yeah, players yeah. because each one of us uh, send a, big, a team with different players for each position, and right. then they, they they do this kind of average of what players should. I, I put I put I think two other. Uh, Gil Vicente players in my team, but they didn't make the final team. <laughs> fair <laughs> enough, say, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, let's talk about ahead, this Gil Vicente side. So much talent. Uh, Fran Navarro, one yeah, of the top he, scorers in the league. Samuel Lino, another player who keeps on impressing. Pedrinho, talk to me about some of these guys. Listen, uh, the, the main man for me, and which was a huge surprise because I didn't know him at all. I, I knew Samuel Lino from previous uh, seasons. Um, he's a seasoned player, you, you, you can say that. But Frenovar, who, who was a huge surprise for me, he's one. He's been one of the best players in the league in this first stretch, stretch you know, first third, if you want to call it, of the league. Uh, I mean, this, this guy has a natural-born instinct, you know, to score goals. Uh, Spanish player, I really didn't know him. He's very effective in the box, outside the box, right foot, left foot, brave. Doesn't, you know, he really goes for it. I, I like his style a lot. And he's been really, really effective. In, 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 I mean, and also in tougher matches where Gil Vicente doesn't have the ball so much, they don't have that much possession. I mean, the guy, if you give him a little bit of space, he will create something. He will create goal chances. He, he's, a, I think he's... A, very surprising, and I like him a lot. I, I rate him very highly. Let's see what, what what will happen in his career from now on. I think it's been very good for him to play in a team like Gil Vicente, who are a very daring team for, for a small club. And they they play attractive football. Unlike other teams, which I have mentioned, they, they do play effective football. And let me tell you, for Molikão, who's been, who's been erratic, he, he, now you're expecting more and more uh, of Famalicão, who's been doing well in the last couple of years in the Portuguese league since they come back to the top level, uh, to the top tier. And, um, man, it, it was a one-sided affair. I mean, Gil Vicente just, just ruled. You know, they, they just, you know, annihilated Famalicão from beginning to end. Uh, and it, it, it was 4 nearly it could have been more. But uh, no disrespect to, to Famalicão, of course. But Frenovar, to me, uh, I would like to point him out because I didn't know him. And I think he's been, you know, one of the best, best players in the Portuguese league so far. Malenko, uh currently 14th in the league. Yeah. He got a pretty tricky uh, schedule coming up. Going to face off against Benfica, Storiel, Portimonense in the Tusk of the Portugal, Belenenchesad, and Braga. Uh, over the next month. What are your thoughts on this Famale Cow team? It does seem like they've been one of the biggest disappointments uh, so far. And, you know, losing uh, back-to-back games, conceding seven goals and scoring zero uh, against both Gil Vicente and Portimonense definitely gives you a lot to worry about. Um, are you concerned about Ivo Vieira's job security? What do you think he needs to do to turn this around? 
Well, he's a very determined guy. Yeah, I respect him a lot. Uh, I appreciate his work, his career. I think I think he's a very he's very tough on the players. He's a very demanding, you know, uh, coach. Uh, but um, yeah, Fumalikon, there's no there's no way to go around it. They are in dire straits. Uh, I think Fumalikon never really recovered from the fact that they, when they first reappeared on the scene, uh, they had a huge team. They have they had investors. It's as we say here, they had a good project. We use that word a lot here in Portugal. Uh, as far as you know. Uh, plans uh, are concerned, um, far ahead plans that is. But uh, the thing is, they first when they reappeared, like I was saying, they had you know huge players like Pedro Gonçalves Pot, who was doing splendidly in Sporting. They had the Bruno Lamaris, they had Ruben Vinagre, they had loads and loads of good players. But they had assembled a great team, but they weren't able somehow to recreate uh, that kind of magic. So uh, these teams have been, you know, uh, lacking in quality, to be honest with you. I don't think it's the manager's fault at all. Uh, I think Ivieta is, is a good manager. But, you know, things just aren't, aren't working out. Let's see. It's, it's a little bit early in the season, yeah. But you know, for teeth in the league, you have you do have reasons to be concerned, and it doesn't it doesn't do anything for me watching Formula One play. To be honest with you, they do try. Uh, I'm not putting into question, you know, the professionalism and the commitment of these guys. No, no, no way. But uh, it doesn't do it for me. I mean, I've been watching football ever since I was a kid. I've been a journalist for 23 years now, and uh, it's it's really really poor, to be honest with you. Yeah, it has been very poor. I do hope that Ivo Vieta uh, can turn things around, but he is yeah. definitely... He's a good manager, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Chance, I, I think that, in, in fairness, Malikau have tended to do better against bigger sides. Um, you know, they they got a point against Sporting. We're unlucky to not get a point against Sporto. Maybe we'll see something of a similar ilk against Benfica and Storiel. We need that, though. He, Ivo Vieira needs that to turn things around. Um, I do want to touch up on uh, another another really interesting mid-table yeah. match. Go ahead. Homecoming between Hasa Shitaheira and Vitoria de Guimaraes. Um, so 7th against 13th. Hasa um, hosting Vitoria at the Stadio Capital do Mobile in what was a homecoming for Pepa, who of course led Passos to a phenomenal fifth place finish last season and departed for Vitoria. Uh, so definitely, you know, uh, something for, for him to prove with this Vitoria side who has been, you know, somewhat shaky over mm-hmm. over the first few weeks. Um, Passos coming out and, and having, I would say, a very good, very strong first half. Uh, Den- Del Nielsen uh, scoring early on, having his goal canceled then scoring again uh, to give Passos a lead uh, going into halftime. Then Vitoria, we saw Pepa make a few two subs at halftime with Oscar Stupignan and Falai Sako coming in. Then Ricardo Quaregma and Nicolas Jandier coming on a little later. But uh, Oscar Stupignan grabbing the equalizer in the 70th minute via an assist from Bruno Duarte. And then in the 90th minute, Bruno Duarte <laughs> Coming in clutch, grabbing an equal, uh, grabbing a go-ahead goal uh, to yeah, snatch yeah. three points for yeah. Victoria de Guimaraes. Um, talk to me about this game. What what have you made of both sides so far? 
Well, I think maybe um, I, I've got to. I got to be honest with you. I, I didn't watch the whole game. Um, I, I watched most of it. I didn't get to see the final, the final uh, goal. I watched it later on. Uh, but I think that Pasquale, like you pointed out, and I agree with you, they've been really solid. You know, uh, they have they have a good manager, Jorginho. Uh, he's you know he knows the ins and outs of Portuguese football. You know, he's been around the block. But also Pepe, which I think um, I think he will go places. To be honest with you, Pepe, the way he handles himself, he carries himself, the way he talks. Uh, th there's a little bit of. Let me give you some history about this guy. I think it's interesting for people to know that Pepe. He used to be a young prospect. He he was a promising player for Befica. I re I remember I met him uh, at the time. Uh, Jesus, I feel old now. <laughs> But yeah, he, he and when he first burst onto the scene, he was this striker who seemed to you know have it in him, you know, to become a good player. But it, it didn't work out for him. He had poor choices, which he admitted he in in you no know, interviews he he gave during the years, and he ended up broke. He ended up broke. He didn't have a dime to his name when he when his career was finished. And he, I know, turned things around when he became a manager. This guy, as a manager, is everything he he wasn't able to be as a player. So um, I think Pitori Guimarães, like you said, yeah, they've been a little bit shaky, but I think they do have the players and they do have the manager, you know, to you know to rise above and and do better than they had. And in the last, you know, couple of years, I mean, you have to, you have to see that you have to bear in mind that the Guimarães, aside from the top three, the big three, as we say here in Portugal, in terms of their fan base, there's no other club like Pitoria Guimarães. I mean, if you live in Guimarães or on the outskirts of Guimarães, you're either a Guimarães fan or a Guimarães fan. We say Guimarães, Vitória de Guimarães. Uh, like, I don't, for instance, Boston Celtics, you either say Boston or the Celtics, you know, that's the equivalent <laughs> here in Portuguese, Portuguese football. But I mean, the, the, their fans, they just, I mean, this, this guy, if, if you ever t get to go in and you should have that, ex that experience to watch a game at Vitória Guimarães Stadium, you will see what I'm talking about. I mean, the, the love for the club is only, you know, uh, uh, uh Only the passion of the, you know, the, the fan base, which is huge, of course, of Sporting Benfica in Port, you know, uh, towers above the Guimarães. They they have this this um, passion for the club, which is you know really admirable. So, uh, but but the thing is, they they somehow uh, I I think there's always something amiss at Guimarães in my mind. They won a cup a few years ago, yeah. But I, I think some, some, sometimes things just don't connect between the expectations that their you know, passionate fans have and uh, the, the team provides and delivers on the pitch. I think uh, also the, things, uh, the way things have been handled at the club, the presidents they've had, um, I, I think it's, it's been a little bit disappointing for Guimarães for, for, the, for, for the last years. But I think they... they They really uh, made a good choice to sign Pepe as a um, as a manager. I think they they are on to something good this time. Yeah, I do think that uh, the Pepe move is is very interesting. I, I think obviously still very early, but they are seventh in the league, and I think there are definitely are some signs of Pepe starting to uh, showcase his style. 
Um, a few matches we have not talked about yet. I do want to uh, touch up on Braga's match against Estoril because mm -hmm. this is a side between fourth and fifth. Uh, yeah. It was always going to be really interesting to see these two teams go up against each other. Carlos Carvalho's side going up against Bruno Pinheiro's men. And uh, overall, I, I think this was actually one of Braga's better performances this season. I think so, I think too. That... In spite of the, the, their play being sent off. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Right. Lucas Minero getting sent off. In spite of that, uh, some very promising results so far uh, for, for Braga after a so-so start. It's coming off a 4-1 victory against Vizela. Before that, we saw a 6-0 win against Santa Clara in the Cup. Um, so and and so, I think a strong result after that humiliating defeat to Benfica at the Estadio de Luz. Yeah. Do you think that this is? Do you feel that this is the strongest front three of Braga so far? I mean, Yuri Medeiros, Vitor Oliveira, Ricardo Horta. Uh, I do want to talk about Horta because I feel like he is one of the most underrated players in Portugal. But Vitinha just. Talk to me a little bit about this guy, Vitor Oliveira. Um, <laughs> yeah. 21 years old and already benching the likes of Mario Gonzalez. Mario Gonzalez. I, I, yeah, I think yeah, things still haven't clicked, you know, still, this, for, for Mario Gonzalez. Ever I think it was a good signing. I think Braga did very well in signing uh, Mario Gonzalez because he performed really well at Tondela. Uh, yeah, so it made perfect sense. Uh, but, you know, he's been having a tough time because there's the Vitinha effect, <laughs> which wasn't, you know, on the cards maybe. But uh, Vitinha, I think he's... Uh, I like his style a lot, you know, he's daring, you know, uh, very brave also. Um, I, I, I think he's, he's has, he has this, you know, he's, he's fearless, man. I, I love to see a player like that. You know, he doesn't, it doesn't bother him the slightest, you know, playing at top level all of a sudden and for a club like Braga, which is in nowadays a huge, huge responsibility. It's, uh, it's almost like playing for Porto Benfica or Sporting because next to the big three, Port Braga is the major force, you know, that's that's the force you have to reckon with. But the thing is, uh, as it stands, I think those three players up front, they're the ones who are performing the best, and Carlos Carvalhal knows that better than anyone. Uh, Ricardo Huerta, I don't think he's that underrated anymore. I think people, <laughs> finally, people are having to realize, you know, that this guy, I mean, he, he's, he's it. He's one of the best players I've seen. The, one of the most consistent goal-scoring players I've seen for Braga. I mean, this guy just has it, um, and he's delivered game after he delivers game after game after game. Uh, he, he missed a penalty, but you know this shows the player's personality. He wasn't affected in the slightest because he scored two goals after the, he missed the penalty, which uh, you know it always takes his soul psychologically, psychologically in a player during the, during a match. But he wasn't bothered, and then he scored twice. Uh, yeah, it was a tough game because, um, you know, Estoril, they're a very, very good team and they have, a, you should watch out for their manager as well. But, yeah, I think this guy also has a good philosophy and a good, you know, he's showcasing his his, his work as a manager and Estoril, I mean, they are a big surprise in the Portuguese league so far. Um, but uh, when, when, some, when Lucas Mineiro was sent off, you know, Braga had to close ranks. And they did, did it very well. They defended very well. You know, 
Streel, they almost scored, but, uh, you know, it, it just didn't happen for them because, you know, Braga is a solid team and they adapt very well to different times. And, you know, if, if things turn around, they, they try to fit into what the game has to offer. And, yeah, I think it was, it was a good performance and it shows how mature Braga is becoming as a team. Do you think that Ricardo Orta should be given a call up to the national team? Oh, no doubt. No doubt in my mind. I think, I mean, it's stiff competition. And even though, you know, the Portuguese national team are in a good place at the moment, as you know, you, you have this abundance of strikers and forwards and wingers, and it's really tough to get in there, you know, even for a player uh, of, you know, um, Ricardo Orta, which, which has, I mean, his talent is um, something you can't argue with. You have to be fair. But I think he deserves it. Maybe not at such, um, maybe not at this stage because things are, you know, uh, very, very sensitive at the moment and very serious. If you, and if you call in a new player and if things don't go well, you know, that can be damaging for that player. In this case, uh, Ricardo Orte, maybe it's not the best time for him, but hey, this, this is football, this is competition. You have to, you don't choose when you go. But yeah, uh, regardless of the place the Portuguese team is at the moment, I think Ricardo Duarte has what it takes to be at least called to, to the team, to be summoned to the team, yeah. Yeah, two fantastic, um, two fantastic uh, goals from Braga. Definitely check them out. Uh, and mind you, this is, this is a team playing against uh, one of the better sides in Portugal this season, in Estoria Praia, without uh, the likes of Wanderson Galeno and Almusrati and David Parma. So still a lot of a lot of potential for them to improve. Nice to see them doing it. Do you do you think though that that uh, Carlos Carvalhal will end up leaving soon? I mean a lot of rumors linking him to the vacant Flamengo position. Uh, do you see him leaving Braga for Flamengo? No I wouldn't say for Flamengo, maybe. Uh, you can only speculate on that. I don't have any solid information on that one. But I do think he will eventually move on to greener pastures because uh, I think, I mean, what, what other mountains can he climb at Braga? It's been apparent that, it, you know, to be Portuguese champion, maybe uh, Braga, I think eventually one day Braga will be, uh, uh, will be champion. But, I don't see it. I don't see it in the near future, to be honest with you. And the last couple of years showed that it seemed that when it seemed that it was close, that it was possible, all of a sudden, you know. And now Sporting is champion again. I mean, <laughs> it, it, I, th I think they still have a long way to go to become Portuguese champions. You know, uh, the fruit isn't all lined up. You know, <laughs> but um, I think that uh, Carvalhal, after winning a cup, after doing, you know well in the league uh, at the end of the season maybe I think he will uh, I, I mean he will move on with his, with his life because also that's the way he is he, even though he's yeah. I mean he's a Braga man through and through that's his club that's where he was raised that's uh, where he was born you know no doubt about that That's a, there's no doubt where his loyalties are but he's a professional and uh, I think he will I think he wants a new challenge for himself to be honest with you I think his work at Braga is almost done. Absolutely. Very interesting. Uh, any further ado, we're going to move into the biggest jewel of oh, yeah. the Portuguese weekend. 
We can't forget about the Derby de Lisboa between Benfica and Sporting. Lots to dive into here. Um, Benfica facing off against a Sporting side that had already sealed uh, their entrance into the Champions League round of 16, whereas Benfica you know, still needs to play their way into the round of 16 today. Sporting missing two of their most important players oh, yeah. in João Paulinha and Sebastian Coates, but still managing to dominate and take a 3-1 victory against Benfica. What did you make of this match? Well, yeah, I mean, I've seen, you know, tons and tons of Lisbon derbies. But I, this used to be the biggest, and still is in a sense, to my mind, the biggest team in the country, even though Porto is a major force, you have to realize that um, Benfica and Sporting, they, they go way back ever since, you know, the early ages of Portuguese football. I mean, they uh, they have fans all over the country, anywhere you, you can find, you know, uh, a Sporting or a Benfica fan. Uh, anywhere in the country, you still can't say the same about Porto, to be honest with you. But uh, in this game in particular, I think you know, Sporting. It was apparent from you know right off the bat that uh, who was the most confident team on the pitch, and it showed. Um, I mean, Sporting scored in the eight minute, the the first goal, but you could see um, even prior to that just how comfortable the sport and confident Sporting were. You know. The, the way they handled possession, the the way they positioned themselves in Benfica's midfield. I mean, they just cut the Benfica midfield and defense to pieces. And not having um, players which are pivotal, like uh, you pointed out, Coates and Pelinha, uh, this guy, this, these two guys are major in the team. And not having them in such a huge challenge and still deliver and still dominate and still win is a huge accomplishment. It's, it's no mean feat, I can tell you, even though Sporting are champions and all, two big teams and all that, blah, blah. But, but, and the, I was thinking that Benfica would, uh, because Benfica have, Benfica have a better squad. Sporting has a better team, which, which is two entirely different things. And also, there's a thing, there's this factor which sounds, you know, something, you know, Maybe it's oversimplifying things, but to my mind, it's not. On one side, you have Jorge Duz. I, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, this guy has won it all. He's seen it all. Very, very experienced. But he lacks one thing, uh, and that's handling the players, talking to the players, uh, the relationship between the players. He's too harsh at times. Uh, and when someone is too harsh to you, you, no matter how much you acknowledge, you know, the way this guy knows this stuff, sometimes you just don't hear them. But whereas on the other side, you have Ruben Amorim, a young manager who, you know, he's a delight to work with uh, to, to any player. He, I mean, this guy, um, he, he has this golden touch. I don't know how to explain it. There's this aura about this guy. Uh, I mean, he can, he can, Pick a player who who is sixteen years old and make him feel like he's you know ten feet tall or something. I mean, the the way he communicates is entirely different. And what I saw, what I saw on the pitch was a confident team against the tired, you know, uh, Befica side who couldn't really respond, couldn't ever respond to Sporting's attack and to Sporting's disposition throughout the whole game. I mean. And also, there was a little bit of luck there. There always is in a big match. Um, when Befica, at the beginning of the second half, 
when Benfica were, you know, uh, trying to get inside Sporting's box, they they hit a, a couple of shots in the post, and then all of a sudden Sporting broke out, which they do brilliantly, and scored the second one, and then the third one was only natural. I mean, um, Sporting just eased through, you know, it was almost a breeze, which is very, very uncommon in a Benfica Sporting match at Stadio de Luz, let me tell you. So much, uh, so many great individual performances. I thought, looking at the, the the double pivot, though, I was very impressed. I was very impressed with the with, with every sporting player, but the double pivot, I thought, really interesting. Manuel Ugarte getting Manuel a, Garte, yeah. a baptism of fire. Mateus Nunes with a phenomenal game. Oh yeah. And what what did you make of what did you make of Ugarte's performance? I think he handled himself really well. I think I was very surprised. He was one of the Famalicão players who who was part of that team that I talked to you about previously. I mean, he I, I know he had done well at training. Um, you don't get to see training sessions now, but I had that information that he that Ruben Amorim was really happy with what he was showing during training sessions. Uh, I think the fact that he had Matheus Nunes playing alongside him and letting him, letting him, letting him, you know, go deep into attack um, was good support for him as well. But I think the the main thing for me, right, right from the start, was the way that uh, Sporting's midfield with uh, Matheus Nunes and Ugart just rose above Benfica's uh, midfield players like Weigl the German experienced player and João Mario. I mean, Sporting just ran ran through them and and Benfica's midfield was trampled. Uh, and uh, I think that Manuel Lugar, I've, he, uh, the, the, this is the game that showed why he was signed. Okay. This guy really knows his stuff. You know, uh, very, very accurate. His technical awareness is very interesting. I, I like the way he, he, his positioning, you know, his, his awareness, his passing, I mean, he, I think he's a very, very effective player, and he did did brilliantly. He was one of the best, even though you you don't you he's not a very visible player, so to speak. He's not showy in the way he 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 carries himself on the pitch, but he's very, very effective. Do you think uh, that George Jesus's job security is at risk? I think Do you think so, there's yeah. any chance that he will be fired for the end? I don't of the think it, I, I don't think it's at risk. I know. It's at risk. Uh, I know that for a fact. Uh, we all do um, because it, we're talking just hours before the kickoff uh, of Benfica's game against Dinamo Kiev. I think Benfica will, will win the game, but that's just what I think. It's football. You never know what's going to happen once the ball rolls. But uh, if Benfica doesn't, you know, doesn't win this game, if things go sour as far as the Champions League goes, I, I have no doubt in my mind that this may be it. This may be may well be the end of it because there's 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 this feeling you know of um that things might you know just run, run it i think it's running its course for benfica it's the for Benfica, so to speak uh, there's this mutual feeling of mistrust um and uh, nobody likes to work in that kind of environment so i think if things do not work out in the pitch and if benfica doesn't you know win the next and win convincingly the next few batch of games that uh, decisions will be made. 
Without a doubt. Que situação. <laughs> um, without any further ado, I want to uh, close off this podcast by going to the talent of the week section. My talent of the week, uh, I'm going to go with actually a player from a game that we have not discussed. Uh, we have not discussed one game. And uh, that game was 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 an interesting little match um, that saw Santa Clara go up against Aruca. So it should be noted that that a few games, uh, two games specifically, ended up being postponed. Postponed, yeah, yeah, COVID-19 because of the COVID, yeah, because of COVID outbreaks. Tondela against Motorinch, as well as Vizela against Belenenstad. Uh, Belenenstad and Motorinch both in the relegation zone. Vizela mm -hmm. just one point ahead of Motorinch, and Vizela level on points with Santa Clara who obviously have um, have played one more match than Gisela and Morench and two matches more than Belenich thought. And yes, the Santa Clara taking on Aruca and getting an impressive 2-1 victory um, in the Astores. So a lot of promising uh, talents in the Santa Clara side to point out such as Lincoln. We've talked about Lincoln, Lincoln before. Yeah, Very Brazilian interesting player, yeah. Brazilian yeah. player. One player, though, that I want to touch up on is Crisan. Crisan, 25-year-old Brazilian attacker, uh, I believe joined Santa Clara in the, in, in the 2019-20 season, the January window, um, from a Brazilian side. He has actually had some experience in playing in Saudi Arabia as well, but joining from Atletico Perenich and uh, has, has, I would say, stepped up over the past two games, um, getting an equalizer against the Shkoria Praia, as well as uh, getting a very well-taken race against Saruka showed very nice uh, striker's instinct and uh, good movement uh, to get those two goals. So, you know, with, with the loss of Carlos Jr., we, we have been talking about How are Santa Clara going to replace their all-time leading goal scorer? I think that uh, as far as center forward options go, still not many promising options there. Rui Costa is one um, yeah. of those options. There's also Luis Felipe, who they signed from Sporting. Yeah, yeah. I do think that Kisan could be that answer, you know, playing more of, as, a, as a winger, but uh, definitely exhibiting some striker's instincts in that crucial victory against Aruca. Um, what if, first of all, what have you made of the Santa Clara side under Nuno Campos um, as well as, it, do you have any thoughts on Crisan? Well, I, I think that it's it's been, you know, kind of tough for nonsense because it, nobody was expecting Daniel Ramos to, to leave the, the team just all of a sudden, but something came up and that there was this New new contract that was offered to him from Arabia, so he, he couldn't say no. Uh, and Nunes, all of a sudden, he had to take charge of the team, and you know things have been you know up and down for Santa Clara. I think Rizan is is a good player. He's a good at the very least, he's a good league player, Portuguese league player. Let's see what it, what he can do more. Uh, I think it's very interesting in the way that Santa Clara has been you know choosing their players, and they've been having you know Brazilian players who play up front, who have been doing really well. You have Crisan, he's more of a midfielder, Lincoln, but but he does 
he kind of does everything up front. You have Carlos Junior. You had another player called Tiago Santana, who now, who now plays in Japan. So, yeah, Santa Clara, it's very interesting the way they, you know, that they're scouting guys. You know, they, they do uh, tend to sign players, who, Brazilian players, who, who nobody hears about, who come from, you know, uh, minor clubs and minor Brazilian leagues from from other states, which are not São Paulo, Rio de Janeiro, whatever, uh, and yeah, the, the, they they have signed good players. I think Crise has had his his moments, yeah, but uh, I mean, Santa Clara's team still hasn't cracked it yet for me. Uh, they had a few good performances here and there, but you know, it's it's still very up and down for me, to be honest with you. You have the talent of the week yourself. <laughs> any 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 young player in Portugal or out of Portugal that you'd like to mention? No. Well, the player I've been, you know, um, watching the most who has impressed me the most because I really wasn't a fan when he first came on to the first team. I have to be fair here. I have to criticize myself here first. I think he was a bit immature, which was which is natural given his age. Uh, but I'm really, really impressed with him and, you know, this game between Bifika Sport and just Joe, I'm talking about Matheus Nunes. Matheus Nunes, I mean, this guy, um, this guy is becoming it at Sporting, you know, now that you, because you have to put it into context that Sporting lost to Omari, which was a Sporting boy, you know, uh, and he went on to sign for Bifika, which was, you know, Huge news here was it? They really dropped the bomb <laughs> on, on on as we say here that that's the bomb of the uh, the the summer you know transfer market. But uh, and then Matheus Nunes really stepped up to the plate in a way that I wasn't expecting. He he had done. I mean, he had performed well last season. Uh, but you know the way and they, and at such a big game, it just goes to show the the, the character of the play. I like players who can perform under pressure at, you know, the top games. That's that's when, it, uh, for instance, take, take a striker. Uh, I can, yeah, I can appreciate a striker who scores, you know, uh, for a top team, that is, who scores 20, 25 goals, in, you know, a season. But if he doesn't score, if he doesn't, if he doesn't step up to the plate in a big match, doesn't quite make it for me. And, and you know, in spite of the position he plays in, I like, I like to watch a player, you know, really rising over the occasion. And at such a huge game, I think he was a giant on the pitch, Matheus Nunes. And uh, yeah, that, that's that's the play I've been watching and talking about the most. Yeah, absolutely. Matheus Nunes is an uh, interesting player who has replaced uh, Joao Mario in mm. that midfield role, whereas Manuel Garte, the player who was signed to replace uh, Joao Mario, both players really dominating João Mario in, in this crucial fixture. And I do think that, you know, Mateus Nunes still has had some I think, weak performances against teams that sit deep and, you know, that, that want a more creative play. Yeah, but in open matches still, like... He still this, has to work a little bit more, of yeah. course, yeah. But in open matches like this one against Benfica, He's just really so good. You know, his, his combination of, I think, physical and technical attributes to go down the pitch, to dribble, and to deliver. Really so impressive. He, I think he's an underrated dribbler who's, who's capable of, you know, breaking onto the counter and, and, and linking up an attack. Uh, I was very impressed with him. I think arguably a man of the match. So very, very impressive performance. No doubt. Yeah. 
So we'll be interesting to see what happens. Thank you so much, Philippe, for coming on. It was a real pleasure Thank you. My to have pleasure. you on. My pleasure. And uh, I hope to have you on again soon. Will do. Um abraço.